Please remain standing this morning uh, as we open God's word together. Our passage today is John 17, 1 through 26, which can be found on page 903 of the Pew Bible. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given, given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know that in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I, have, I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. The word is your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me. I made, them, I made known to them your name, and will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. May the grace and the peace of the Lord be with you. 
It's a great privilege and a joy to be here with you this morning. One of the great things about being a Christian is that you meet people you have never met before and you call them brothers and sisters. And that is not fake. It's as real as the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's because of his sacrifice that we were made family of God. So I'm glad to be here with part of my family and knowing another part of my family. Uh, My family is actually here with me as well. My wife, Renata, my daughter, Zoe, and my son, Matt. And uh, we are all um, privileged to be here. Uh, Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that as we gather here today as the body of Christ, we can hope that you will speak to us. I pray that you you will uh, open up our hearts so that we will be able to respond to you in faith as you expect from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even though the label is already taken, um, this passage of scriptures that we just read, John 17, could very well be called the Lord's Prayer. Of course, in the Christian tradition, the Lord's Prayer is normally referred to as the prayer that we find in Matthew chapter 6, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to to pray, the model prayer, our Father in heaven. But in a very real sense, the prayer that we find in John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. In a different way. This is not a prayer that every Christian can pray. At least not in the way that Jesus prayed. Jesus prays this prayer in a way that only He could do it. Uh, This is truly the Lord's Prayer. It's a very important prayer, and it's a very important prayer because of the one who's praying. As I said, only Jesus himself could have prayed this prayer because he, while praying this prayer, he rests on his identity as the Son of God. He rests on his status as the only begotten of the Father. He says things in this prayer that only Jesus himself could say. Things like, you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all those who believe in me. He says things like, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He says things like, all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. I mean, only Jesus could have said these things. This is truly the Lord's prayer. But when Jesus prays this prayer, and he prays as the Son of God, not only prays being, being the Son of God in, in the Gospel of John, is not only, not only refers to the fact that he is the only begotten of the Father, but it means that in a mysterious way, he shares in the nature of God himself. John says in the opening uh, verses of uh, his gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Not only He is the begotten of the Father, He shares in the nature of the Father. He is, according to the gospel, He is 
God himself. Another part of the gospel, Philip, the disciple, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus looks at, at Philip and says, are you kidding me? This is in the actual Greek, uh, you can check it. Are you kidding me? I am here with you all this time. I and the Father are one. The one who sees me sees the Father. In a real sense, Jesus is God. In a real sense, Jesus reveals God. In a real sense, Jesus is the embodiment of God. Now think about it. That means that the one praying in John 17 is God himself. And he's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. This is when God prayed for us. This is when God prayed for you. Now, we often think of prayer as something we do to God. And now we have this wonderful reversal. When God, the one that normally is prayed to, is the one praying for. He's praying for us. I know what you're thinking. How can God pray to God and how does that work? I mean, the Trinity is complicated even for theologians. But the thing is, sometimes we spend so much time trying to understand the Trinity that we, we, we fail to live the mystery of the Trinity. And all there is to it in this moment is that in this moment in history, in that wonderful moment, God prayed for us. Jesus prayed for us. Another thing important about this prayer as it relates to the one who's praying is that this is no customary prayer, no ordinary prayer. It's not the kind of prayer that Jesus would pray you know, early in the morning or before meals or at night or even a couple times throughout the year as some sort of liturgy. No, this is a once-in-a-lifetime prayer. This is a prayer that cannot be repeated, that would not be repeated, because this is no ordinary time for Jesus. This is the time that he is about to die. This is a testament prayer. It's the sort of prayer someone prays when he knows he's about to die. And it is because Jesus knows he's about to die that he prays this prayer. Now think about that. What would you pray if you knew you were about to die? I know that this is not the kind of thought that we normally entertain. <laughs> Partly because it's not the normal circumstances that we normally go through. I mean, how many of us can, uh, can say that we uh, faced death and uh, prayed in that moment? I mean, some of us might have had that experience. But this is really intense. I never had some, you know, close experience. I had this uh, uh, instance that happened uh, in a robbery in Brazil that but I was too young to think that I was going to die. Young people don't think they, are, they, will, they will die. Um, but two, about two months ago, I was flying from San Diego to Boston. Um, and it, it was one of those, those flights, you know, that it's so cheap, so cheap that you can't bring anything. I mean, they, they, they charge for 
everything. If you have an extra thought in the plane, they probably charge you for it. <laughs> and, and as it's normally the case, the aircraft in those cases, they, they do not, you know, they're not, at least they do not inspire much confidence. Um, and so the combination of, you know, the kind of air, air, uh, airplane and um, the terrible turbulence, extended turbulence that we went through that flight, and probably something related to my state of mind. I mean, I, I, I've been in many flights, but that was the first time that the, the, the thought actually crossed my mind, this thing's going to crash. <laughs> That's, that was the first time that I felt like things were serious. And, and naturally, as a Christian, I prayed. <laughs> it's very interesting the kind of prayer that you pray, you pray uh, kind of prayer that you pray in that sort of cir- circumstance. Um, uh, forgive my sins, of course. Check. Uh, take care of my family. Take care of my wife, my son, my daughter. But then prayer morphs into concern and regret. I should have, you know, I should have bought a, a better life insurance, I should have <laughs> taken care of the mortgage, and, and by the time uh, I, my prayer has spiraled down into concern and lament, uh, the turbulence was over, and obviously I didn't die. But it's, the prayers you pray in this sort of situ- situations are revealing. They reveal what goes in your heart, what are your priorities. Here is the Son of God. Here is Jesus facing the hour of His death, knowing that the agony of His suffering is uh, approaching, and He is praying. He's praying as God, but He's also praying as a man in the most vulnerable state one can be, knowing that He's about to die an, the, uh, uh, an agonizing death. So here we have the two natures of Jesus uh, intertwined in this wonderful prayer. The God praying for us and Jesus, the God-man, in his most vulnerable state, praying for us. So no, we cannot pray this prayer in the same way that Jesus prayed this prayer. But even though we can't pray in the same way he did, this is a very important prayer for us. But this, because this is the heart of Jesus revealed. If you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, how can I pray for you? The answer would probably be John 17. This is what matters for him. This is what matters for God. And I suggest that if we pay close attention to this prayer, we might just be able to understand a little bit what Jesus really wants. And then we can learn how to pray. So what does Jesus really want? This prayer is very deep. And I, I really um, recommend that you spend some time with it. Maybe today or through, throughout the week. Break it in chunks and, and, and try to, uh, to absorb the depth of it. But as I was praying for this morning, three things came to my mind as we uh, uh, flowing out of this prayer. The first request of Jesus has to do with the glory of God. The glory of God. Glorify your Son, says Jesus, so that your Son may glorify you. 
glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. It's a reciprocal dynamic. Glorify your son, but that's not the end of it. So that your son may glorify you. Jesus' main concern here, facing the hour of his death, facing the possibility, the probability, the certainty of his suffering, is not a prayer of self-preservation. It's a prayer for God's glory. There is no sense of self-preservation. Certainly there is fear. From the other Gospels, we know that Jesus at this time also prayed, Father, if possible, remove this cup of suffering from me. However, may your will be done and not mine. Or in other words, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is modeling in this dreadful hour the prayer that He taught His disciples how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. May Your kingdom come. May Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But He's not praying as something, as a kind of a daily prayer. He's praying this when facing the hour of His death and saying, Father, the most important thing At this moment, may your name be glorified. The most important thing I can pray when facing the agony of death, may your name be glorified. What does it mean, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you? What's Jesus really asking? In the Gospel of John, the glorification of Jesus is the time of His death. Now, that's quite a reversal of the understanding of glory, isn't it? Jesus says in John 12, 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does that mean? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What does it mean to be glorified for Jesus? To be glorified for Jesus is to die. The path to glory for Him is the cross, because the cross is His glory. The cross for Jesus is not His defeat. The cross for Jesus is not a shame. The cross for Jesus is not a failure. The cross for Jesus is His glory. It's the moment... When the glory of the Lord is displayed in Himself through His suffering. Now, people are often fascinated with the glory of God, right? When we talk about the glory of God, we think of brilliance and splendor and majesty and scenes like uh, uh, the glory of God descending upon the temple and people not being able to come in or the glory of God at the top of Mount Sinai and that wonderful spectacle, even terrifi- uh, uh, terrible spectacle that we, we see in the Scriptures. We think of glory, splendor, brilliance, fire. But it's interesting that in Exodus 33, when Moses asks God, show me your glory, show me your glory, God says to Moses, okay, I'll show you my goodness. 
I'll hide you here in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by you. You'll see me from behind, and I'll show you my goodness. Because more than the brilliance, more than the splendor, more than the fire, more than the scene, the glory of God is the character of God. And who, what is the character of God? God Himself proclaims to Moses, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one, the merciful one, slow to anger, rich in love. The glory of God is the goodness of God. Or the goodness of God is the glory of God. The goodness of God is the expression of the glory of God that we can actually endure. The goodness of God is the expression of the glory of God that we can stand and understand. So when John talks about Jesus, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. In Jesus, Moses' cry was answered, Show me your glory. God says, Okay, I'll send my son. And you will see my glory. In Jesus, truly, we saw his glory. Because Jesus is the embodiment of God's glory wrapped up in all his goodness. glory of God touching the leper, the glory of God healing the blind, the glory of God crying for us, the glory of God praying for us, the glory of God manifested as He died on the cross. We contemplate the goodness and glory of God when God lets Himself be killed to save those who believe in Him. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. What, that, what does that mean? It means, Father, let me die so that the world will see what a good God you are. Let me die because only when I die with my arms stretched out on the cross, the world will know what a good God you are. And they will see your glory. When Jesus dies on the cross, He redeems. Not only He redeems you and me for Himself, but He redeems suffering itself. Because of the cross, suffering does not have to be the end. Suffering now is an instrument for the manifestation of God's glory and His goodness. And that is not only applicable to Jesus Himself, but to each and, one, each and every one of us. Even in our suffering, because of the cross, because suffering has been turned upside down because of the cross, even in our suffering, we can experience the goodness of God. If we dare to pray like Jesus, glorify your name. May your goodness shine through the cracks of my suffering. Glorify your name. It's a good way to, a good thing to learn from Jesus in this prayer. The second request of Jesus has to do with our lives. 
in our mission in this world. Our lives and our mission in this world. Jesus says a few interesting things interconnected here. He says, speaking about the disciples, they are yours. And you gave them to me. I, I love this language of ownership that Jesus uses here. You know, I, I, I know that modern sensitivity is about owning and things like that. But you know what? I don't mind Jesus talking about me in this way. <laughs> they are yours and you gave them to me. They are yours. And you gave them to me. And they are not of this world, Jesus says. Just as I am not of this world, they are not of this world. By the way, he's talking about you and me. Now, of course, Jesus is not implying that we are extraterrestrials or Martians or anything like that. By world here, he means the corrupt systems of values of this world, the way this world operates. Say they, they don't belong to this. They don't fit. They don't fit. They are yours. You gave them to me. They are not of this world. They don't fit. And because they don't fit, the world will hate them. The world will hate them. Then there is an inevitable tension here. If if they live as they are supposed to live, the world will be hostile to them. Because just by virtue of being who they are, they will be hated. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, we should go you know, around upsetting everybody and you know, making claims that will create tension and hostility. That's not what Jesus means. It's just by virtue of being who they are. <laughs> because they, dis they disturb the system. They are yours. To use a modern analogy, they are a virus. <laughs> and the system doesn't work well with them, with the systems of value of the kingdom. And so, they will be hated... So they are yours. You gave them to me. They are not of this world. The world will hate them. So Jesus says, please, Lord, keep them. Protect them. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for all those who believe in His name and by virtue of believing in His name attract some sort of hostility in the world. He, we, he prayed for each and every one of us when facing situations when it's difficult. It's difficult to be His disciple. The Gospel of John is very clear about this. It, it, it's difficult to be His disciple. But He prayed for you. This moment Jesus had in mind 
Every Christian persecuted in China, every person losing their jobs because they're a Christian, every person that are, is, is kicked out of their families because they come to Christ. Every time that people look you a little bit weird when you say, well, Sunday I go to church. Every time a friend looks at you and says, really, you go to church? What does that mean? Don't do this, that, and that. Protect them. Guard them. Keep them. But not so that they will live in this bubble very comfortably, walled in in their sanctuaries, and waiting very patiently with their eyes shut and just waiting for Jesus to come and everything will be okay. No, it's not the kind of, that kind of keeping. Jesus said, they're yours. You gave them to me. The world hates them. Please keep them. Please protect, protect them because I am sending them into the world. Because that's where they're supposed to be. His light shines in the darkness. And here, the trajectory of the disciple matches the trajectory of Jesus himself. Because Jesus is not from the world, according to John, but because God so loved the world, Jesus is sent into the world to make God known to the world. In the same way, we are not from the world, says Jesus But because God so loved the world, Jesus sent us into the world. What is true of God and Jesus becomes true of Jesus and the disciples. Isn't that amazing? That the strategy of God is to send His Son to die for us and then to choose us. Fragile as we, we are. He chooses us. He chooses us to continue to reveal His glory. I send them into the world. That is our mission. It's the very purpose of our existence. Whatever dreams you have, whatever dreams I have, is subordinate to this wonderful calling. So much so that if we don't find a way to align ourselves with this calling, we can get everything in the world and still feel empty. Because He called us for Himself. And the third request of Jesus, and perhaps the most odd one, but in Jesus' own logic, the one that makes sense of it all, I pray, Jesus says, that they will be one. 
How is your name going to be glorified? How are they going to accomplish their mission? Well, only if they are one. It's an unlikely request for someone who's dying. That they will be one. That they will love one another. That they will be so intertwined in a bond of love that they will be one. And not just any kind of unity, but the unity that Jesus shared with the Father. <laughs> that they will be one just, I, just as I am one with you. Seriously, Jesus? Isn't that too much to ask? Look at us. Well, this is the prayer of a dying man. This is the prayer of the Son of God. It is his prayer because there is no other way. It's because only when we are one, and only when we love, the world will know who he is. So unity and love are our greatest evangelistic tools. Forget about evangelistic crusades and, I don't know, all the strategies that people come up with. I mean, they're all important. I'm not disregarding those. But all that will not work if we're not one, if we don't love each other. Because love is not something you can talk about without showing. And Jesus makes it clear that's the only way that the world will know your love. Unfortunately, and I starts with me, that's the area we tend to fail the most, isn't it? I mean, we, we are, we tend to divide. Fragmentation is almost natural to us. Historically speaking, we more often divide than unite. But there are moments. There are moments when God's love shines through the cracks of our hardened hearts. And when it does, the world is changed. If we are able to love, and I'll let you figure out what that means in your context. I'll let you figure out what love, what, what being one, what loving means here in this church in this community, in Metro West, in the places where you work and serve. But that, that is the essence of the Christian life, isn't it? I know this church is praying and thinking about how you can contribute to the advancement of the kingdom in Metro West area. I've, I looked at your website. I, listen to some of your sermons, and I know that that's what God is prompting you to do and to pray. 
have good news for you. You're not the only ones who are praying this. Jesus is praying for this. And I'll tell you what, no prayer of the Son of God goes unanswered. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, with our hearts constrained by your love and your goodness, we come to you. We know that we don't have anything in us that makes us capable of living up to the standards that Jesus prayed in this prayer. But we know that it's because he prayed this prayer that we can hope that through your spirit you will act upon our lives and enable us to be who we are called to be. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for Pastor Bruce, Pastor Travis, and all the elders and everybody who serves here and every member of this congregation. That as they seek to to be an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. You will shine your light in this area through this church and let the world know that you sent Jesus to reveal your glory and your goodness as you sent us to do the same. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray.